There you go. All right. Well, this is a little different for me. Um, plans changed a little last moment. We um, got a little sick over the over the week. Thought we may have had um, COVID. We kind of had a weird test on a home test and found out this morning that we we're all negative, so a blessing. But we are here to um, – didn't want to get everybody sick with the whatever we have. It seems like some kind of nasty cold going around. Um, so that is why we're here, and hopefully we'll be able to be back next week and, and see um, all your faces. Um, one of the things we're starting off or this week, um, it's going to be a three-week series. And um, this actually started last summer teaching um, the kids' classroom, the younger kids. Um, we started doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's a verse that I think oftentimes we, a lot of us know, know that verse. Um, but when I started to think about it, and there's so many verses and so many things I feel like in the scriptures that we know, um, but sometimes we don't apply it as well as we should, or we know it, but don't, outside of knowing it, we don't often live it, or we um, just struggle with implementation of, of aspects in, in, the, in the Bible. Um, and so it got me to thinking, thinking that maybe as a time for, as we were continuing the summer series, that... Um, as a, as a community, as a congregation, that we would be able to look through this. Um, this is a relatively small verse, but kind of unpack it a little bit. And ideally, it's supposed to be a discussion um, with each fruit of how we can apply and tips how we apply this um, methods to help this fruit grow in our own lives. Um, originally, I was going to kind of pause after each fruit, but I think, um, at least for this week, I will work my way through um, the first three fruits and then come to the in and work on a discussion if there is if there's time for discussion um just with this format it's a little different i think it might be easier to, to look at it that way um but so over the next three weeks like i said we'll be going over the fruit of the spirit um small verse galatians 5 22 through 23 and so it, it, the background of this too and getting started is when i i went through this and i decided i would take a look and look at each word um as it was in the Greek, and so researching it through the um, through our concordance and looking in some of the lexicons to figure out um, definitions and uh, places in Scripture where the words that were used that Paul writes in the fruit of the Spirit um, carry over to aspects of um, other Scripture, where we can look at that same word that's being used in the Greek and see if we can um, get a better understanding of what each of these fruits are in that respect, and then, like I said, hopefully um, discussing at that point how tips and ways to apply this um, in our own life. I am by no means um, perfect in, uh, in applying these fruits. There's probably some that I am I am better at uh, cultivating and um, pruning, but ideally as a community we can help each other in those aspects where um, one of us may be better at one, we can learn from each other, and just as we continue to grow, hopefully our children will be better at acknowledging and growing these fruits in their lives than, than even we are. Um, sorry, checking the notes real quick. Oh, when I was reading through the, the scripture, going through all of Galatians, um, I was looking through and when Paul writes, he writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And I couldn't decide if the use of fruit was singular or plural. We have 
you know, instances in our English language where you can say, look at all the fruit on that tree, and that would be plural. Or you can also say, let me go pick this. That is a tasty piece of fruit, and it is in the singular. I mean, so I'm just going to kind of start in, go through the top of Galatians, starting in the beginning of Galatians, um, and of Galatians 5, read from there. Um, I'll briefly touch on some things after we're done, and then we'll kind of dig into um, the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. If you will turn with me to Galatians 5, we'll just start at the um, very beginning. Galatians 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive her circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and Immediate strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Um, in, sorry, I'm dealing with a little allergies here. Um, so when I was reading this, I noticed that Paul essentially contra- is contrasting the deeds of the flesh which become separate deeds and plural. And so I looked at the fruit of the Spirit as essentially distinct fruit that we need to grow in our own lives. So instead of it being one fruit that combines all these things, there are uh, multiple fruit that we should be working to bear, uh, to grow and nurture in our lives. Um, and just seeing how Paul writes and looking back into, step, into verse um, 
19 where it says the deeds of the flesh, and he lists these deeds, and then he goes to contrast the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and this study has led me to look at them um, as individual, and so that's why we are going to be looking, going through each one. Now, I thought about just for having a little fun, switching uh, which way we tackled it, but we will go in, in order that Paul writes it. Don't want to um, give anybody any uh, any grief. And so the verse, the first uh, fruit of the spirit that Paul mentions is love. The love, and um, at the Disciple Center, I think more than a lot of people, we realize that there are different types of love. Um, but the love that Paul mentions here is that agape love um, in the Greek. It's that love that is self-sacrificing. Um, it is not the phileo or the eros love, which is the eros being the romantic love and the phileo that brotherly love. This is the um, consistent use of the word agape, which is that self and that self-sacrificing love. Um, and as you can guess, there are quite a few instances um, within the Bible where we see the word in its Greek, the agape form of love. And so um, we'll be flipping to a few of those. Let me just scroll down, I'm sorry, to my notes. Um, so the concordance and lexicon use that definition, the unconditional love, self-sacrificing love. Um, it's that, for me, it's that love that's in action and oftentimes requires a conscious effort. Um, I would say that it's not about... Uh, it's not about what we receive out of it. It's about what we give, about what we, what we can give to others, be it a sacrificing of our time, um, sacrifice our energy or, some, or resources or someone else without expecting anything in return. And just, um, it's that love that helps you show up for people. Um, for me in my own life, that love actually demonstrates, I think, most through um, helping people move. It's a task that I... Honestly, it just, I hate moving. I do. Um, but I, if I'm around, I will always show up because I know it's a way that um, it helps out people. And it's a way that I can, um, even to my own kids, show that even though it's not necessarily my favorite thing, in, in a small way, it's a way that I can show love to our community members um, and be there to show up and, and take time out of my day to be there to help with something that, in all honesty, I would rather not, but, um, and that's the point of the love though, is that it's, it is that self-sacrificing and it's not, and that example is not a, an example as big as laying your life down for, for your brother or, or your sister or a family member. Um, but for me in my life, it is a, a constant way for me to remember that this fruit needs to be practiced and you need to find some of the small ways to practice it. And I think, um, for most of us at the, at the church in the congregation, we have, um, children and, I have found as our children get older that you learn so much more about a self-sacrificing love um, with our children, be it the fact that they want, you know, that last piece of pie or, um, you know, that meal that you're eating in small instances where it is we put their needs in front of our own, Um, be it showing up to events um, like I said, it's just the small things, food. And so I think that is one of the great gifts that God has given us as parents is that we get to learn more about his love for us and the way that we love our children and the way that we 
um, imperfectly love our children, that we aren't always perfect at it, we aren't always doing it the best that God would do it, but we do, we are learning and we are striving to have that love in a way that God has demonstrated to us through, um, through Christ Jesus. Um, and looking in some of the verses, I'll be looking at John fifteen nine through 13. It's an instance where um, we come across love, where is that version of agape being used? And it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and... Uh, your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no uh, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so again, those that, that's the most perfect example, right, of that agape love, is that Christ laid his life down for us, um, for us who are sinners, that we might come to the Father through him. Um until you, it's hard to grasp, right? To understand that concept, to understand, you, you can read it and you understand it, but, uh, it's so hard, I think, to actually grasp the weight and the heaviness of that sacrifice. Um, to my knowledge, none of us, since we're all here, have been asked to lay our lives down for another person, um, much less somebody, you know, like us who are sinners. Um, and so it is that, that goal that we strive for and that I got by love to get to the point where if one day we need to lay our life down for our brothers and sisters, that we are there to do it. Um, and, and that's a very hard concept, I think, to wrestle with and to strive towards because it is outside of our nature in general. Um, because of that, I think, full of that sin nature, we aren't apt to put the needs. It's an act of, of love to put the needs of someone else before us and how much more when it comes to a love um, that requires a self-sacrifice and it requires um, the ultimate sacrifice. Um, another instance where we see this being uh, translated, in which we know quite well, um, is Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, as Paul talks about the role of husbands and wives. Um, wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does this, uh, does the church. Because we are parts of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that's another just another example that we see of that love and where it again compares us to that love and as Christ is that example of um, the agape love, of that self-sacrificing, of that understanding of putting the needs of others ahead of yourself and sanctify them through that through that action. Um, and I think we kind of know the love 
really well. I think we understand it. I think it's that practice that is where we need to strive our entire life to be practicing it in all these aspects. That as we grow in our faith and our grace and our knowledge of the Lord, that we bear these fruits better and better, that we cultivate nature, our crop is a little better than the year before. Um, and understanding that ideally we will um, pass our tips down to our children, that they will take them even further than we are able to, and that they would learn from us and and grow in, in grace and knowledge and, and, and learn to love even better than we have loved. Um, and so this brings us to the next uh, aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, um, which is joy. Now, Paul is very specific in the word, in the use of joy. He does not use the word happiness. In um, an aspect of looking at this fruit of the Spirit and looking at the joy and that comparison to happiness, um, I think would say the biggest difference is that, that joy is something that's more eternally focused. Um, Long term, you strive for it, you work towards it. Um, happiness is fleeting. You know, it can come, it comes and goes quickly. Um, there are things that bring us joy. You know, if it's um, a bowl of ice cream, uh, watching our sports team win, sitting by a fire with a book on a rainy day, with the smell of coffee nearby, they all can produce these feelings of happiness. And it's amazing and it's great. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, our sports teams lose. We don't get the rain to sit by the fire. Um, and sometimes the ice cream is not in the freezer. And that doesn't take away from what our hope is in salvation. It just means that those things that offer a earthly moment of happiness aren't there, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we can still, in these moments, have joy and choose to have joy. And so the Greek word that Paul uses, and my Greek is um, rusty in the fact that I am never studied Greek, so my pronunciation hopefully is is close enough, but the Greek word was um, chara, which when translated through the lexicon and and through the concordance, Translated as the awareness of God's grace and favor. And when you look at it with that definition, it really changed my aspect of understanding joy is that the world can be falling apart around you and you can still take a second and say, I'm aware of God's grace and his favor. Though this may be a trying circumstance, it doesn't mean that God's grace isn't still in my life. It may these events may not be the way I would have written them for myself, but you can still say in the darkness, in the in the storm, in the darkness, that I am aware of God's grace and His favor, and so you can find the joy even while you are suffering or at the same time feel sorrow or sadness. And um, it doesn't mean you joy has to be the only thing you ever feel, but it does mean that in those circumstances where you feel other emotions, where you feel that that suffering and that sorrow. At the same time, you can also hopefully take a step back and have that joy, that awareness that of God's grace in our life, that this isn't it, that there is more for us, that through his grace we are you know, washed clean, that we are saved, and that we have that ability to look to eternity, that this life isn't about this world, it isn't about this time. While it's great to have blessings here, we aren't always going to be happy and we aren't always going to be blessed abundantly, but we will always have that ability to have joy in our lives. They, 
that awareness again of God's grace and his favor. There are um, several verses that where this uh, the word uh, cross reference the version of that awareness of God's grace and His favor. Um, one of them came from James one and two through four, where it says, "Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And so I'm going to read it again, but with the, in this case, the definition of that awareness of God's favor, of his grace. Consider it, the awareness of God's grace and his favor, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so even in those circumstances, we know on, more, on several occasions, many times in the Bible, we have been told by Jesus himself that what has been done to him would be, do, would be done to us. And so we understand, at least in this, this aspect, that these various trials, that we are going to be tried in our life, just like Christ was tried. Um, but we can work through those trials and understand that it's, it's sharpening us in the image of God and that it is preparing us to be more Christ-like. And that through that, we can see that grace. We can be aware of that grace that we know that God, that Jesus told us that these were going to happen, that there would be hard times for us, that we would not be treated well. You know, there are, um, so it is a hard, it can be a hard life to follow, follow in the footsteps of the Lord. And luckily here, I feel like most of us are still, haven't had to face the types of trials that um, brothers across the, the world have. And even some, and even in the early times of the church, um, where, Moving, I think, in a direction where, as a nation and as believers inside of where we live, we will continue to face more and more trials, and our children will need to be prepared for those trials. And understanding that through those trials, that we still see God's, that we're still aware of God's grace and His favor. Um, another verse that I wanted to go to is John fifteen eight through eleven. Again, this is in keeping with the fruit of the spirit of joy. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be made in, may be in you, that your joy may be made full. And again, I look at that last section, these things I have spoken to you, so that the awareness of my grace and favor may be in you, and that the awareness of my grace and favor may be made full. And for me, using those that definition and looking at the word in that respect and understanding of more than just one word and that, that definition has helped me see those verses a little more, understand joy a little more from, from that aspect, is that we the joy that we have is in that awareness of God's grace in our life, of that hope. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Andy talked about... Um, that hope that we have, that our, our hope is not the wishing hope, but the hope in eternity, hope in God's promises, and the one who was faithful. And so looking at joy, one of the things that, one of the questions, and this is the question of the whole series, is how do we, how do we grow this fruit? And for me, practicing this fruit, 
works as an active change of mindset. And I would find that I would let my circumstances take my focus away from joy. And while we don't find necessarily God in the circumstances, we understand that in the circumstances, we can still, if they're good or bad, that we can still have that joy. And I was too often letting a circumstance that wasn't going my way cloud my view of the joy that I had. Um, in my life, I like to call this green on bandini. When we used to live at our old house, when I would come home from work, um, there's a stoplight on the street bandini. It's the last stoplight that would get me home. So it's the last hurdle I had to get through to get home, see my family, see my boys. And I would catch that light red so often. It just was the scourge of my existence. It was just that one, I said, that one roadblock always there to get me home a few seconds later than I would have liked. And in that aspect of realizing about joy and, and in that time having kind of a changed mindset, realizing that the circumstance, if I looked at the circumstance a little different, I may be able to change how I view it and change um better accept and better use, understand the joy in my life. And and so instead of focusing on the reds, I started to focus on when I would catch the light green. And to my surprise, I found that I actually caught the light green much off, more often than I caught the light red. But because I was so focused on the negative, I wasn't able to see the positive in my life, see the positive aspects of the things where in that circumstance that went, went my way. Um, but what I, I guess all this to say is that when I would stop at a red, it gave me the opportunity to stop at the light and just to be thankful for the times that I do catch it green. Um, be thankful that um, I was, just as a reminder, I was able to learn through this process that I, as a person, can struggle and change how I view circumstances to better understand how I view joy that through that same lesson of changing um, the lens in which I'm viewing something, I can better reflect joy in my life. Um, I can better focus on that awareness of God's grace in my life in the bad situations and bad circumstances and the trials. And even in the good stuff, I think oftentimes we will be blessed abundantly, but we forget we can kind of forget the joy. We focus on the on that short blessing, and we kind of forget that how much that plays to God's grace and favor and that awareness of it. And so for me, it's a mindset change, and I think that's I love to hear as we you know dive into the series and, and get more input from from the rest of the congregation as we as we discuss and help each other learn other ways in which you know, joy can be applied and how you guys focus on growing that joy in your life. Um, because it's not, it's not always an easy task to, to take a step back and to say, God is here, God is in this moment, despite how it ends, despite what it is, good or bad, that God is here and that I'm aware of his grace and his favor in my life. And that that is all that matters, that my hope is in him and that our hope is in eternity and that we will live abundantly and forever in God's presence. Um, this brings me to the third fruit, which is peace. 
um, translated in the Greek, like I said, it's Ierne. And the Greek lexicon had provided the contextual definition as peace between individuals, like a harmony between two people. And so one of the first verses that I went to was, was when God, when Jesus talks about the fact that he did not come to bring peace on this earth. Um, and it's in Matthew 10, 34, 36. It says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be the members of his household. And we know that we, that we won't necessarily have that peace at all times in this life. Um, that, especially as the dark times come, that peace will be harder and harder to find and harder and harder to gather. But there are signs of, of peace and of things and examples within the Bible of, of that peace, of having that harmony and that accord with individuals. And in Romans, Paul writes that be of the same mind, in Romans 12, 16 through 21, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think this is one of the best examples of that ability to live with peace between individuals, with that harmony. Um, when you read it, again, when you read it with the definition, um, so far as it depends on you, be at peace uh, between with all individuals, have that harmony. And that's, that's hard. I mean, especially, I think, in these last two years, um, with the circumstances of just the world, it's hard sometimes for people to be at peace, and it's harder and harder um, to find that peace. And as we've learned in, in some of the church readings that we're doing and working through, um, we need to get away from that us-first-them mentality, but to live in peace. And so as it comes to living in peace... We, as believers, you know, obviously there's certain things within our households that we can't tolerate. You know, when we come in, when people come into our house, that is the kingdom of God and God's rules are the rules that apply. And so we need to be, you know, aware of that and teaching that to our children and, and living that way each day in our own lives. But it doesn't mean that we still can't have peace with one another. And so I think that, again, that makes that effort of having to put away you know, as we've talked a lot in our church, our Americanism, that we always have this will to fight and to prove your point and that you're going to take up arms and you're going to fight for what's right. And, you know, you just that, that American, like, I'm not going to stand for this. But can we in certain aspects? Do we need to argue with people, you know, for instance, the last two years um, on choices, on on masks, not masks, vaccines, not vaccines? Can we find a way where we can respect the decisions of other people when it does not 
revolve around the eternity. It does not revolve around something that is breaking one of God's commandments. Somebody who has a different political belief than us, instead of being so contentious and and seeing them as as the villain, is there ways that we can you know find to live in peace? And some of that is just not engage or to let it pass to just be essentially the bigger person and go and go past that and say okay this is what they believe i don't think it's correct i don't think it's right but in the long run does it have an effect on eternity does it have an effect on how i'm raising my children how i'm living my life and if it doesn't let us live in peace with them let us put that behind us and continue to live in peace with people who view things differently than we do. And again, like I said, this is purely on a, on a side where it is things that are not contradictory to God's law. Things that I would say are more Americanized to a certain extent. And obviously I think a big thing is where we look at those things, politics, is where we see a lot of that, that happening, where we think, oh, I just can't talk to this person anymore. Their views are just so different from mine. I don't want to talk with them. They're terrible. And so we need to work to make that conscious effort to put that behind us. Maybe drop the politic talk, knowing that in the long run, that politics is not going to save this nation. That politics is not going to save this world. The only hope for this world is in is in Christ Jesus. That uh, one day, uh, as it was said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That is what we need to be focused on, and that's how we need to live. We don't need to carry these burdens with us that put us in contention with our with our fellow um, I guess in this extent fellow man that we're you know walking this earth with there will be a day that everyone will acknowledge Christ as Lord and it is our goal to live according to his word and that through our actions people would say that there is something different and that we would be able to um, show people for the reason we have our hope but with all that it means that we have to also strive towards peace that we need to start letting go of the small things that don't truly matter in this realm of eternity um, Paul goes on in uh, Romans 14 and to talk about this peace he says therefore let's not judge one another anymore but rather Determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother or sister's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but the one who thinks something is unclean, that person is unclean. For if because of food your brother or sister is hurt, you are no longer walking in accordance with love. Do not destroy with your choice of food that person for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you... Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by other people. So then we pursue these things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are all evil for the person who eats and causes offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles. The faith which you have has your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But the one who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith. And whatever it is not from faith is sin. And I think this goes 
to that point of how we kind of live in harmony with one another. Um, I know uh, there's for, within that own congregation there when it comes to food, you know, there are con- there are families that even you know view kosher laws different than other families. Um, and I've never seen. I think there's uh, at least in our group we've given a, a hard time back and forth on either way for uh, you know that decision, but done in jest and in love, um, but never an instance where you any family has ever looked down on another family for the choices that they make, understanding that it's that choice in the in that aspect that they are doing it um, out of their faith and out of that understanding of it, and so it's a good example where we are able to live in peace with one another. We may not, we may look differently on, you know, in that scripture and in, in that respect, but we are still able to live with peace, peace with each other. We don't have to, you know, get into a spiritual debate every time, you know, a pizza gets ordered. You can, you know, you can order a, a sausage pizza and you can order a cheese pizza. You call it good. And, you know, you're living in peace with each other. And it's a choice that you have to make because you could take a stand and, and, and argue back and forth and, until you know you're blue in the faith and you wreck a friendship, um, but we don't because obviously um, from the Paul, words of Paul we learn to live at peace with one another. We learn that we, um, in these aspects, can respect those decisions of faith and live in, in that peace. Um, and there is, I'm not sure what time we started, but I will. I've got one more verse and. I guess at that point, kind of open up to conversation and questions. Um, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were this, at this time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. His flesh, the hostility which the law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two one new person, in this way establishing peace, and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Uh, by it having put to death the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with, with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling God in the Spirit. And I think, as you see this, that in this verse, how God has reconciled us, who's brought us peace, and how important that the example of Jesus is in bearing these fruits. You see the love of Jesus. You see that joy that Jesus has brought to us, that peace that he also brings to the believers, still with the understanding that it's not always going to be that way, that there will come a day where there will be um, discord. But... And looking at Christ Jesus, that we see this perfect example of ways that this fruit is bearing out in his life, and that through his words, we too can start to bear good fruit, that we can have these fruit present in our lives, and um, hopefully, like I said, you know, the ultimate goal is to teach our children, to bring them to the point where they are 
are bearing these bearing this fruit, and uh, that it is second nature to them that each year that that the acting in love and in joy and in peace is something that they don't even have to strive for, that they just do, that they just know down in their hearts and in their core values of how we interact as Christians, as of those who are called to to God's grace and how we can act towards each other and to the world around us. Um, I'd like to, I guess, at this point, open it up for some questions and, I guess, the start of some dialogue. I'm not sure how large the group is there today, um, but I would... Recording I guess, stopped. 